All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith on a day when we got a jam-packed show for you. As we continue our coverage and analysis of the COVID-19 pandemic, there's a fascinating developments out of Ottawa this morning. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau under pressure now to be more transparent and accountable about this crisis. Federal Conservative leader Andrew Scheer saying it's time for parliamentary accountability now, even if it's a virtual session of parliament you can do it online so the opposition can ask questions about how the government is managing this crisis i got andrew Shear on the show today the federal conservative leader he will be on at 10 a.m make sure you're here for that south of the border manufacturing giant 3m says they have been ordered by u.s president donald trump to stop exporting surgical masks to canada We'll have the latest on that for you today. Trudeau was asked about that a short time ago. I got Dr. Michael Curry on the show today, emergency room doctor at Delta Hospital, taking your calls on COVID-19. So if you have questions about this pandemic, and who doesn't, uh, make sure you stick around for that, and he'll be here to take your calls on the open line. First, though, let's kick it off and talk about the heroes in this whole struggle, and I'm talking about the very brave frontline healthcare workers, especially our nurses as they continue to try and keep us safe as we fight this uh, pandemic. Let's check in now with Christine Sorensen. She is the president of the BC Nurses Union. Christine, thanks a lot for coming on. Good morning, Mike. Glad to be here. First, First of all, let me say thank you to you and all the other nurses in British Columbia who are risking their own health, uh, putting themselves on the line for all the rest of us. And Thank you. All across BC at 7 p.m., including my street, everybody on my street, 7 o'clock every night is out, out in their driveways banging pots and pans for the nurses and all the other brave frontline healthcare workers. So thank you. Thank you. Yes, we hear those cheers every day at 7 and the uh, growing numbers of emergency responders who are coming out in a parade at 7 p.m. Uh, it's truly heartwarming. How are nurses coping on the front lines right now? Well, it's a pretty stressful time, I have to admit. I mean, I hear from nurses every day uh, that are worried about their ability to provide patient care with the increasing numbers of patients that are anticipated to enter the system. Uh, They're concerned about their ability to keep themselves safe and their patients safe. Uh, They're concerned about, you know, the the transmission of this virus in the community. Uh, And we're concerned about the people who are out in the community uh, who are really being impacted, whether it's from mental health issues, uh, whether they're low income and are struggling. Uh, you know, we really do care for all, and it isn't just for those people who are in our acute care system. Uh, it's for all those people in our community that have been impacted by this pandemic. How are, uh, how are nurses doing in terms of personal protective equipment? And we're hearing a lot about surgical masks, and we got this story breaking this morning that the President of the United States has told the 3M company to stop sending us surgical masks. How are, how are nurses doing on the front lines in terms of that kind of equipment? Well, we do know that we're in a time now that, you know, personal protective equipment is depleting, uh, particularly around N95 masks. We have been asked to conserve, uh, and we are working with the government and the health authorities uh, to try to look at ways to conserve. But we do need to protect our nurses. We need to ensure that those nurses have access to the equipment they need, including the N95 masks, when they are caring for patients who are suspect or known to have COVID. Uh, Unfortunately, with so many people now possibly being asymptomatic carriers or people infected in the community, uh, that's becoming more and more difficult because anybody who enters an acute care hospital now uh, can be considered a possible carrier. And so... You know, we are, we are worried about access to supply, and we are working very closely uh, with all of the partners in healthcare to try to secure what the nurses need. What do you, those N95 masks, they're manufactured by 3M, and here you got the U.S. president telling 3M, don't send them to Canada. What, what, do, you know, what do you think of that? You know, that's a very diff, d- difficult situation. I know that in the U.S. they're deeply concerned about their people, um, as are countries all over the world. Uh, access to N95s is a, is a critical need for everyone, uh, but we really, it is a global pandemic and we do need to work together uh, as humanity, as other people have said, uh, to make sure that we get these supplies uh, to the places that need them. Um, and we absolutely do need to work with our partners in the U.S. Uh, and many nurses work in the U.S. and many nurses from the U.S. work in Canada. Uh, we need to make sure that people are protected. 
Speaking to Christine Sorensen, she's the president of the BC Nurses Union. With regard to those masks, it almost seems like, feels like this is kind of a, a calm before the storm. I actually was texting with a, a doctor earlier this week who said that we're prepared for a tidal wave and we just hope the tidal wave doesn't come. Is that the way it feels like to you? Yes, for a lot of nurses. I mean, we've been working incredibly hard with all our other healthcare partners, everybody in healthcare to decant or move patients out of hospital into other facilities. Um, we've been, you know, isolating people in long-term cares and all of the things to make space. And we have the space right now, but you can see there are still other efforts that are being made to ensure we have more space, including opening up the Vancouver Convention Centre. So we're, we're, re- we're waiting and we're concerned, uh, and that's why we're asking the public to please do their part and please help us. Right. How can the public help? Uh, well, absolutely. Please follow the recommendations from the health officers. Don't go out if it's not essential. Wash your hands. You know, stay home if you're sick. If you don't need to go to work, don't go to work. Uh, we need to reduce the spread of this disease uh, as, as quickly as we can so that we can um, minimize the numbers of people infected, minimize the numbers of people needing acute care services, and maximize the amount of time we have to get the supplies we need around personal protective equipment. Give us a chance to get what we need um, by staying home, please. Okay, speaking of that personal protective equipment, you mentioned earlier that nurses are being asked to conserve let's say these N95 masks, how do you do that? Like are nurses being asked to ration these supplies, conserve them, use them, use them multiple times? What's happening there? Well, in a number of sites, um, N95 masks and, and any other personal protective equipment that's in short supply is being centralized. Uh, nurses are assigned uh, an N95 mask for a shift if they need it, particularly if they're working in uh, a high-risk area like the emergency or a COVID unit. Uh, and so they are asked to use one mask. The reality is, though, that uh, uh, nurses must, they, they need to eat, they need to drink, they need to take a break during their 12 or 14 or 16-hour shift. So they have to remove that mask, and it isn't safe to put it back on because, as we've heard, the risk of contamination is greater when you touch the mask and put it off and on. Uh, so nurses are doing their best. They are professionals. We have managed infectious disease for, for all of our nursing career. Uh, and we put ourselves at risk every day. But right now, we need to allow nurses to make their own choice about what level of personal protective equipment they need and when they need to get masks. Okay, are you saying they don't have that choice now? They're being told to do otherwise? Well, for, for some sites, they will be assigned a mask, an N95 mask for that shift. Uh, unfortunately, if the mask is soiled or damaged or has to be removed and replaced, uh, nurses do need to be able to go and get another mask. Unfortunately, doing that takes time because they're centralized. And so nurses have to take time away from patient care to go get an additional mask. Uh, and in other parts of the province, you know, we do see nurses now are having to count N95 masks in a similar way that they're counting narcotics. Uh, and that is concerning wow. that we are now doing counts on, on N95 masks. Are some of them disappearing or being stolen? I wouldn't say that they're being stolen. Everybody recognizes how important that these masks are. We're all doing our part as healthcare professionals to conserve the supply, make sure that they're there when we need them. But when we need them, it may be today, and nurses need to have access to that level of personal protective equipment at the point of care when they do their own risk assessment and determine what level of personal protective equipment they need. That's the agreement we have with the ministry and the health authorities. Let the nurse make the decision at the point of care. My guest is Christine Sorensen. She's the president of the BC Nurses Union. Your calls to her 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Just before we go to some calls, I, I can't imagine how tough it would be for a nurse on the front line who's maybe got a family at home and going in every day to work and knowing that you're risking exposure to this virus and potentially bring it at home to your own family. Uh, can you, can you tell me, like, have a lot of nurses got sick so far? Uh, well, well, we do know that nurses haven't, have been exposed and nurses have been asked to stay home and isolate uh, while we're awaiting testing results. Uh, nurses have been infected. So, yes, uh, there are nurses in this province who have been infected. Uh, and at this point, I'm not sure of anybody who's been hospitalized, uh, which I'm grateful for. Um, but, you know, nurses are asking the government also uh, for other ways to help 
then reduce the spread of this illness, particularly uh, between patients, but also uh, back home and out into the community. How do you do that? What would you like to see done? Uh, well, we are asking for uh, available scrubs, clothing that nurses can change into in the facilities, uh, and places for them to change, and showers so that they can have a shower before they leave the hospital and go out. Uh, child care is, has been a challenge. Uh, it is 24-7 for nurses that they need this, so certainly having access to child care uh, has been a very big challenge. Um, as you know, we've been asking for accommodation so nurses can find a different place to sleep, uh, rest up, um, and and recover before they return to their shift. Uh, and so they're reducing exposure to their family and out in the community. Right. And, and even transportation has been a challenge as transportation routes have changed or reduced hours in some areas. Uh, nurses are finding it difficult to even get to work sometimes. Let's take some phone calls here. Chad on the open line. Hi. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Uh, my question was, can there be uh, some type of a washable fabric cover that could be manufactured for the N95 mask. Uh, a lot of, you know, if there was some sort of a, uh, a design or a, a, a pattern that could be put online, we have a lot of people at home that could make these uh, and donate them and then, you know, basically prolonging the life okay. of the N95 okay. mask. Christine Sorensen. Yeah, I thank you. I think that's a wonderful idea. You know, I really am encouraged by the public who are really trying to be innovative and try to help us. And so that's reassuring. Uh, unfortunately, the N95s are created in such a way that they, the, the permeability of that mask is so, uh, is so small that it reduces the risk of any virus coming through to a very microscopic level. Uh, a cloth mask over that, uh, well, uh, it it looks great. It, it's still actually more permeable than even the N95. So anything placed over it would actually still allow the, back, the virus to get through, contaminate the mask. Um, and, and unfortunately, uh, the more things that are placed on people's faces, the more likely that people are to touch and adjust, and that increases our risk of exposure. Okay. But at this point, you know, there's a lot of research going into how to extend the life of those N95 masks. Right, so, right. Can, can the N95 mask be sterilized and reused? Well, again, these are unprecedented times. This is something we've never, ever had to do before. N95s are single-use masks. They've always been utilized that way. Uh, but there is research that's going into that. And right now, there are parts of the province that are being asked to collect used N95s uh, for possible sterilization and reuse. That would only happen in an emergency situation where we really have no mask availability. And I do know that research is happening on that worldwide and We'll have to wait for the evidence. It's not just uh, the COVID virus that would be exposed on that mask. We also are worried about other things that are in our in, in our hospitals, MRSA, C. diff. We hear about those too. So we have to make sure we're not spreading other germs uh, around in the environment. Let's go to Bonnie on the open line. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm wondering if you are doing anything to protect nurses who actually have underlying health conditions. Yeah, that's a significant concern for us. We have many of our nurses who are working who also have health issues. Uh, and so we are working with the employers and the government uh, about looking at how we can accommodate nurses uh, to, to move into areas that have lower risk of exposure. Uh, and certainly those nurses who um, have been identified, identified by their primary care physician uh, should be working with uh, the employer uh, to seek redeployment or accommodation. So we have been addressing right. those issues with our members. Just got a minute left. Let's go to uh, Terry. Hi, Terry. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Uh, I'd just like to uh, phone in and thank you very much to the nurses um, for the great work that you guys are doing. You're courageous, and you're really, really helping our society. And I hope this thing turns around. And thank you very much for all your hard work and your courage and compassion. Thank, Thank you, Terry. Do you, got, do you got a question on top of that? No, that's all. Okay, well, that's, that's a good thing to say, and I, and I think that's a, that's a fine way to, to wrap it up. And I will certainly second that emotion as well. And Christine Sorensen, thank you very much for coming on, and thank you to all the brave nurses out there. Thank you. We appreciate your support. All right, welcome back. This is Mike Smith as we continue our coverage and analysis of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's time for our visit with Keith Baldry. Baldry's Beat. Keith, thanks a lot for coming in. Morning, Smitty. Okay, interesting day out of Ottawa, I think, as uh, Trudeau, under some pressure here now, 
to uh, submit to some sort of accountability. We got Andrew Scheer saying he wants accountability sessions with the prime minister. So if you don't, if you don't recall parliament, at the very least, you have some sort of a virtual parliament. So the opposition yeah. can ask questions. And just a little heads up, I'll, I'll talk to Scheer at the top of the hour here. But what do you think about that? Like, I, th- I find it interesting that Scheer is maybe one of the few politicians in the country who's actually still willing to kind of criticize and go on the offensive here well, against the government. It's almost as if Shear's acting like it's still the election campaign. Um, I, I contrast his take on what's happening right now to other opposition leaders in other jurisdictions where you don't see the same type of uh, uh, relentless criticism of the government of the day. I'm not saying that government shouldn't be held accountable by any means, but I contrast what's happening in British Columbia and other provinces where politics is sort of just gone for a while. And governments are allowed to sort of make some pretty um, heavy-handed decisions because we're in an absolute crisis. I mean, many people have likened this to a, that we're on a war footing and that we're you've got wartime decisions being made. And sometimes the democratic principles get clipped a little bit. But isn't he right, though? I mean, isn't he right to say at least submit yourself to some scrutiny and transparency oh, yeah. and accountability. I mean, this is a guy, this is a government that tried a, an, an unbelievable power grab here a couple of weeks ago when they tried to, they tried to get through a bill that would allow them to govern yeah, for, through next December year. December 2021. Well, yeah, they were going to raise taxes and spend money without yeah, any votes was, in Parliament. That was a serious overreach by Bill Morneau well, and, and, and Justin Trudeau. Well, that's right, and they backed down because Scheer pushed him to back down. Yep. Although I think Scheer and Peter McKay, Peter McKay is just like in a, another world on, on Twitter where he's just you know using well, this as Mc, an excuse. McKay, McKay's campaign for leader has been terrible. He's, it's been terrible, and Andrew Scheer is a lame duck leader. I mean, he's done. So it's it's interesting the, the situation that uh, federal conservatives find themselves in it's a it's a unique situation for them and they're i think they're floundering a bit but uh, there's nothing wrong with asking for accountability measures to be taken and that's uh but again justin trudeau's government's priority right now is not to be consumed with the the niceties of parliament it they have to make some decisions and things have well, to get done sheer is a, maybe a lame duck but he could be in there for a while because oh. i think the you know the the, the the conservative leadership has been delayed and maybe I, maybe they should just cancel the whole thing until this is over. Oh, I think I think they should. I think yeah. all, you know, you've got the federal Green parties in a leadership race. The BC Green parties in a leadership race. These yeah. uh, BC Greens have suspended theirs. Uh, no, I think I think I did the piece a couple weeks ago. Politics has to take a back seat right now, but it doesn't mean standing down all political traditions, which includes accountability. But again, I contrast what Andrew Shear's doing. You take a look at what the BC Liberals are doing out here, where you don't really see them, other than that one extraordinary one day session, which was only a few hours long, where it, they passed a spending bill of you know billions of dollars, forty four billion dollars in two hours of debate, yeah. and that's been it. There's been no criticism from the, the BC Liberals. The swords have been since. put away. The yeah. swords are put away, and I think yeah. they should be put away. I think that, that Andrew Shear and the Conservatives, they run the risk sometimes of having a tin ear thinking the public is interested in, in uh, dueling politicians' sound bites. Right now, people want to see action, and they want to see relief. That's why uh, it was extraordinary. The BC government basically allows uh, drugs to be sent into the downtown east side to alleviate the situation there. Nobody said a word. I mean, yeah. back, a year ago, that was the, the stuff of huge debate. Now, a lot of things that were debated before are no longer debated. The B.C. government is suddenly running at least a $5 billion deficit. Nobody said like a word. No problem. No problem. It'll probably go, I wouldn't be surprised if we had another $5 billion in the fall. Uh, the Trudeau government now's deficit, remember the talk of the deficit in the election campaign, oh, it can't be more than $30 billion. That's wrong. It's sure one of them to balance the budget. Yeah. Now it's a hundred and. Twenty billion and counting, and it's going to go nobody higher. Cares. And nobody's saying a word about it. So again, Andrew Shear and the Conservatives have to be careful; they're not offside. I with, think Shear. I think Shear is right to call for transparency from the, oh, all sure. governments. Yep. And I think that the BC government has been transparent to yep. a, to a great degree, like more than the feds. Oh yeah. No. Like at least at least Dix is putting out these models, saying this is how bad it could get. Yeah. And uh, you know. We're not seeing a similar level of transparency from Trudeau. Well, I think Trudeau's problem, he can't put out his models until he gets all the data in from the provinces. And B.C. is leading the country in transparency and, and data release where we've got these models. And other provinces aren't there yet. So the, I think Trudeau's sort of hamstrung by that. Let's talk about this 3M thing because this is turning into quite a fight now between the United States and Canada over these masks, right? So you got uh, U.S. President Donald Trump has passed this U.S. Production Act. 
and he says he's basically forced. 3M says the White House is forcing them to stop sending us these N95 masks. Your thoughts on that? Well, it's good for 3M to push back a bit, saying, look, we, we supply these masks on a humanitarian basis, not just to Canada, but to Central America as well. Uh, but I'm not sure how, how much success they're going to have to push back against Trump. I note, though, that uh, Canada has a few cards to play here as well. Harmac, the mill just uh, north of here, south of Nanaimo, makes, produces the fiber that goes into many of these masks. And tr Trump has to be aware that his own supply chain... It goes chain, both some, ways, right? His supply chain, some, in some instances, runs through Canada as well. So if we're into one of these trade wars... Uh, you know, I was, I was talking to a, a cabinet minister here a short time ago who points out that one of the, th one of the things that's going to come out of this whole pandemic is not the end of globalization, but the end of co uh, countries relying on other countries for so many vital, uh, resources. And in Canada's case, our supply chain for health equipment goes through China and the United States, and that's going to have to end. We're going to have to be more self Well, the idea, like you said, like the idea of a trade war in medical supplies at the time of a global pandemic is, is a pretty kind of appalling thing to, to contemplate. Mm -hmm. At the same time, though, I wonder if Trump is saying like, American voters are going to like this. This is going to appeal to my base. Like, screw everybody else. We're keeping all the masks for ourselves. Yeah, it would fit tr uh, Trump's mode and view of the world. Yeah. I mean, he's facing a re-election situation. The last few polls we've seen have Joe Biden up nine points over him. Of course, the Democrats yeah. won the popular vote before and didn't win the presidency. And that may be the case this time. But Trump is uh, Trump. is Trump. I mean, I'm not surprised at all that he would make this sort of demand. It's a nationalist, uh, protectionist view that will ap ap appeal to a lot of Americans. But it's not necessarily the right move. Let's bring it home here and talk about what's going on in B.C. Yesterday, of course, we had the daily update from Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, Adrian Dix, the health minister. Here's Bonnie Henry from yesterday. And there are many of our smaller communities that are very concerned about people coming for uh, to vacation homes, to fishing lodges, etc. And I am asking people now to uh, forego those types of travel. All non-essential travel, particularly to smaller communities where we might not have the resources to support you should you become ill or should there be transmission in those communities. And that's a really important thing that we need to do now to protect those who are more vulnerable in those communities, particularly our seniors and our elders in our small and remote communities around the province. Yeah, never mind forget about traveling outside of Canada, you shouldn't even be traveling no. within British Columbia. So if you want to do a weekend over in the Gulf Islands or something, I guess she's saying what? Forget it? Forget Don't it. Do. Absolutely forget it. Um, you should even avoid getting on transit right now. I mean, transit numbers are down significantly. Uh, the, the mantra from Dr. Bonnie Henry Adrian Dix is do not gather in crowds. And by crowds, we're talking three or four, not 50. And don't travel if you don't need to travel. And it's interesting, even the small towns are saying, don't come here. We had a story on Global last night, um, Mayor Tofino saying, yeah, don't yeah. come here. We don't, we don't want this you. This is a tourist town. This is a tourist town. Don't come here now. Uh, you've got other small towns saying, we don't, we don't want you to visit us right now. And, yeah. uh, and it's, it's purely out of healthcare concerns. And I think, uh, Dr. Marty Henry would be wise to heat, uh, heed her, her request here. She doesn't make public health orders as much as she makes public health demands. And she's demanding people stay home, don't travel. And it's good advice. What about the numbers yesterday on the number of new positives and number of hospitalizations? Pretty encouraging. Our colleague, Alan Reagan, of uh, our producer at CKW, put together a pretty good chart, I thought, yesterday, which showed that the number of cases overnight was quite high at the beginning of the outbreak and now has gone down considerably. And Bonnie Henry yesterday said we are starting to flatten the curve. Uh, yeah. the, the increases overnight have been around 5%. And it was at 24% just a little more than a week ago. Now we're down, it was 12% last a week ago this Friday, or today, a week ago today. I forget what day it is these days. It's <laughs> Friday. crazy. Thank God. Uh, but a week ago it was 12%. <laughs> now it's 5%. And that's encouraging. So the trajectory is not going, it's not spiking up. It's it's flattening. Uh, but we're, we're into the next critical phase. So the next 10 days is going to tell us where we're at. And there's a lot of hospital beds cleared out. You saw footage last night on Global about the convention center being prepared yeah. for uh, other non-COVID-19 uh, patients having to be transferred there. Yeah, so they would move non-COVID patients to the convention center yeah. to clear up the beds in the hospitals yeah. to, so to, treat, to treat COVID patients. 19 hospitals, health facilities have been designated as COVID-19 All these hospitals are kind of empty. Like uh, my mother-in-law uh, had a, a little spill and had to go to a hospital and 
talking no. to some family members who were saying like it was very quiet in the yeah, hospital. Kind of <laughs> eerie. I was talking yeah. to a nurse contact me and it was very eerie. She was at VG Vancouver General saying, you know, very quiet corridors. Uh, not deserted. because they're re- because they're prepared for. They're I prepared. had one doctor told me so we're prepared for a tidal wave. Yep. that we hope doesn't come, and so far it hasn't come. It hasn't come here. It's interesting yeah. to see what's going on in the United States. It's it's definitely happening in New York City. It's starting to happen in Detroit. We're expecting big numbers in Ontario today. Uh, Ontario and Quebec are way ahead of us in terms of hospitalizations and cases. Now, there's more population there, of course, but I think the ratio here is still pretty, uh, okay. pretty I think, optimistic. I'll be speaking tonight with the premiers about this data, about the modeling and analysis that's going on, and we look forward to being able to share more information soon. All right, welcome back. Mike Smith here with you today. That's, of course, the voice of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau promising to share more information with the Canadian public about some of the modeling and data in the COVID-19 crisis. Let's check in with the leader of the opposition now, Andrew Scheer. He's the leader of the Federal Conservative Party. He's been calling on Trudeau to release more of this information. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Okay, when you when you hear the Prime Minister say that, you know, he's going to tell Canadians more about some of the modeling and, and the analysis and statistics they have in hand, is that okay with you, or do you want, you want more uh, release and transparency on this, correct? Exactly, and it's completely unacceptable that it's not happening now. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen the government of Ontario release information and data today. It's essential that there's the uh, cross-government lines, cross-jurisdictional lines sharing of information. Uh, people need to know exactly what we're facing. Uh, experts have been calling for this, that there can be the critical analysis, that there can be that scrutiny that scientists and and and, and experts can, can, can go through this with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, if we need to be doing things differently, if we need to be doing more of some things or less of other things, we, we need that kind of openness and transparency, and, and we need it in real time. Uh, this, this pandemic is uh, having uh, effects that change uh, week to week, and so it, it's not good enough to say, well, wait a, wait a couple of weeks and, and we'll share some information with you. Okay, do you think that you talked to this morning about the need for accountability sessions with the government? I mean, obviously it's difficult, if not impossible, for Parliament to reconvene at this time. How would these accountability sessions work? Well, as we saw last week, uh, I do believe it's possible to have a reduced roster of members of Parliament. Uh, we can agree uh, on parameters so that there aren't, uh, you know, surprise votes or, uh, you know, threats of, of, of legislation, uh, you know, not passing or things like that. Uh, we can respect the physical distancing measures and, uh, and we can hold ministers to account. You know, we're going to get better decisions as a country. If those people who are tasked with making a decision have to explain it, uh, have to uh, uh, stay, you know, defend their actions, uh, show where the uh, evidence is coming from and the justification behind those decisions, we all want the country to, 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 to be well-managed. We all want our healthcare system to have the tools that it needs. Uh, we all want good outcomes. So let's bring uh, some kind of uh, sitting back or some kind of a session back where members from all parties put aside partisan differences and just go through the decisions, go through the information. But is this really the time for politics? I mean, we see so many opposition parties across the country working very closely with governments. The healthcare professionals and public health officials seem to be calling the shots largely in the provinces and at the federal level as well. I mean, do, do Canadians really want to hear from a guy like you with, with respect? I mean, in, in terms of the, do they want partisan politicking going on right now? Well, as I said, you know, this is not about uh, partisan uh, debates. This is not about philosophical differences between liberals and conservatives. This is about uh, the people who are in positions that uh, will affect uh, the health and safety of Canadians being held accountable for their actions. We've already seen a number of, uh, of missteps where the opposition scrutiny has got better results for Canadians. In the early days of this crisis, as, as late as the uh, second week of March, the government was refusing to bring in travel restrictions and, and close the borders. It was because of uh, opposition pressure done in a nonpartisan way, but just pointing out the facts that we need to uh, restrict the number of people coming in from countries where there have been spikes in these cases that led to that action. 
The Speaking government of- initially proposed a, uh, a 10% wage subsidy. Uh, we said that that wasn't going to be enough. It wasn't going to do enough to protect workers and, and jobs. Right. Uh, they then increased that subsidy. So there have already been a number of occasions where uh, the pressure and the uh, critique coming from opposition parties have led to better results. And that's what we're all in this for. We want better policies and a better response on both the health side and on the economic side as well. Speaking to Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, U.S. President Donald Trump, we're told, has ordered the manufacturing giant company 3M to stop exporting surgical masks to Canada. What should Canada's response be to that? Well, this is extremely alarming. And I think like all Canadians, you know, it's always uh, discouraging and upsetting uh, when uh, when President Trump seems to to single us out, we, we saw that during the steel tariffs, where uh, you know we were we were told that there were security rationale, the national security issues around the steel tariffs, when uh, Canadians have been proud partners with the U.S. and in institutions like NATO. Uh, I'm very concerned of this. The worst thing we can do as 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 countries and as allies with such integrated uh, economies and supply chains is to start putting up roadblocks. We sell so many components and pieces to the U.S. and, and likewise, the best thing we can do is ensure that, uh, that, that, that there are supplies going back and forth so that both countries can meet the needs of our patients. Uh, now, that being said, I think it's incredibly important that the government quickly tell Canadians what steps they're going to do to protect Canadian supplies, uh, ensure that there's enough uh, personal protective equipment for Canadian healthcare workers. Uh, We need to quickly have contingency plans. If the U.S. president does go further down this road, uh, we have to be proactive on this. We we don't want to spend weeks trying to build up the capacity in our own country. Uh, Every day will matter. How can you say that Trump should not be allowed to cut off supplies to us when you have been saying that Canada should not have sent medical supplies to China. Like in in the early days of the outbreak, when the virus was first detected in China, Canada sent some medical supplies to help. And you've been critical of that. You, You said Canada should not have done that. Don't send our medical supplies to China. Keep them for ourselves. Now you got Trump saying the same thing, and you're critical of that. No, it's actually two completely different things. What Trump is doing is telling a company that manufactures and provides equipment on both sides of the border that they are not allowed to sell uh, Canadians or distribute uh, to Canadians supplies that have been purchased or procured. That is much different than what the Canadian government did, where they took materials that already existed and gave it away. Uh, What Trump is telling 3M is that they're not allowed to fill orders from Canada. They're not allowed to ship into Canada. That's not what I was suggesting at all. I was critical of the government taking part of our stockpile, part of the equipment that we would need, and giving it away. Uh, If President Trump wants to say that uh, the equipment that the U.S. government has should stay in the U.S., that's absolutely his prerogative. But what he's doing is going way beyond that and telling American companies that they can't supply parts or, or products into, into what, Canada, that's completely different and unacceptable. What should Trudeau do about it? Well, obviously, a, a negotiated solution is preferable. We don't want to see an escalation in this. But as I said, we, he needs to quickly tell Canadians what steps he's going to take to build up our capacity here at home to provide these types of supplies. Uh, you know, that may require retooling for some uh, companies that may uh, mean that working with private companies to uh, shift their production models or to uh, source more of it here at home. But this has to be done very quickly because uh, all the projections show that in a few weeks we're going to see a uh, surge where more and more of this equipment is going to be needed. What do you think about the overall response to this pandemic from the federal government? That You've seen the Trudeau government here roll out billions and billions of dollars in tax deferrals and handouts and programs. But you're calling for more, right? What more should be done? Well, we're calling for more, and we're calling for a more timely response. And first and foremost, I will say that these are unprecedented times, and this would be a challenge uh, for any party in government, and indeed it is a challenge for different uh, governments across the country. That being said, we do believe it's appropriate to point out the shortcomings and the policies that they've announced. For example, the wage subsidy. I've heard from so many small business owners in the last few days that have said they just simply won't be eligible because they're not in a position to pay any wages right now. And the fact that they have to pay the wages up front and then apply for a reimbursement after the fact is going to be very challenging. 
That's why we're calling for the government to refund the GST that small and medium-sized businesses have already collected. That will be a huge cash injection, allowing many, many stores and, and other types of businesses to stay open, to pay their rent, to pay their bills, to play, pay their employees. So those are the types of measures that it's good. You know, This is why it's good to have an effective opposition at this time. Yeah. It's good to have parliamentary scrutiny and accountability so we can push for these types of measures that will get better results for Canadians. Last last question for you, Mr. Shear. You've also called for the government should not have gone ahead with that increase in the federal carbon tax. How much is too much? Like, you're a conservative guy. You had been pressuring Trudeau to balance the budget. Now we've got the money taps open, wide open, and the money is flowing. Is it just let it flow forever? I mean, are you not are you not worried about deficits and debt? How much is too much? Well, we are extremely worried about that. Uh, we're also worried about the weak and vulnerable position that Trudeau have, has left us uh, with the massive deficits that he's accumulated leading into this crisis. And, uh, you know, we don't want to look too much in the rearview mirror. We have to get through this crisis. But had the government balanced the budget when they said they would, uh, we would have been in a much stronger position. Well, that, we would have had more that's room hind, that's to maneuver. Hindsight. That's hindsight now. I'm, I'm talking about the money that's going out the door now. I mean, is there any limit in your mind on how much should be paid out here? We, we recognize the fact that there's going to be unprecedented needs, and therefore there, okay. there's going to be an unprecedented response uh, on the part of the federal government. Our, what we're looking at right now is to ensure these measures are time-limited, that they help people get through the crisis, but that they are not a permanent expansion of the state. We don't want to see the government uh, more and more involved in the economy. Uh, we don't want to see the government balloon to a size that, that it never retracts from. So we're supportive of measures that get people through the shutdown. Uh, stores and restaurants that have been told not to open do deserve to have assistance, but we want to make sure that the measures are in place while the pandemic is in place and that afterwards there is a quick return uh, to a, a normal size of government. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. Let's get the other side of it now. Jonathan Wilkinson, he's a federal MP from British Columbia, he's of course federal cabinet minister. Mr. Wilkinson, thank you for coming on. Thank you for uh, the invitation. What did you think about some of Shear's criticisms there? Well, look, I mean, I honestly think that uh, this is uh, a time at which Canadians want all political leaders to come together to try to figure out what the the right answers are to ensure that we keep people safe and that we protect the economy and ultimately we recover the economy. I think in a democratic society, it's certainly useful for for the opposition to bring forward ideas in in this uh, context and for us to be having good conversations with that. I certainly, you know, would say that I, I hope that that's the the spirit with which Mr. Shear is bringing them forward, and and the government should be listening and, and ensuring that we're we're trying to be thoughtful about responding. What about some sort of accountability measures here? He has suggested some kind of a limited return to Parliament if you bring in a, a number of MPs to achieve a quorum, or he's even suggested some sort of online questioning by the opposition of the Prime Minister and his cabinet. Would you support that? Well, I'm not going to take anything off the table. I mean, the House leaders of the various political parties in Ottawa have been in regular contact um, as we've gone through this. As you know, Parliament was recalled uh, a little over a week ago to have a conversation about uh, legislation that was required to enable some of the programs. Parliament will be coming back again. Um, to uh, to have that, another conversation. There are a couple of different parliamentary committees, the Finance Committee and the Health Committee, that have been meeting virtually. Um, and so I, I think that uh, it's appropriate for us to look at mechanisms to ensure that there is appropriate debate and oversight. I don't have any objection to that. I don't think any Democrat should have an objection to that. But it's a question of... of um, what what is required uh, to have the kind of oversight that, that we all think should be, but but uh, but let's be clear, we also want to make sure that we're not layering on so many different mechanisms that we're not getting the job done. I mean, at the end of the day, people want us to be acting. They want us to be, um, you know, taking action to ensure that Canadians are taken care of, that uh, we are protecting their health and their their economic position. And so, you know, there's a balance there, and and uh, and I think there's a legitimate conversation to be had, and the House leaders of the various parties parties have been having those conversations. Speaking to Liberal MP Jonathan Wilkinson, your government has rolled out billions of dollars in assistance during this pandemic with tax deferrals and uh, programs to help people who have been been hurt by this. Sheer is saying that you should do even more. You should cancel GST payments that businesses would require to be required to remit to government. You should not have gone ahead with that increase in the federal carbon tax. 
that kicked in on Wednesday of this week to give people to help people. What do you say to that? Well, I would say first of all, we, we, we've intended to do an enormous amount. I mean, the the emergency response benefit was to ensure that all Canadians were taken care of, that people would not be going hungry during this time. Um, we have now put into place a wage subsidy that pays up to seventy five percent of the salaries of employees um, to ensure that many employers will keep their employees on, and that will enable a, a quicker recovery. You know, we've also done a whole range of things around deferrals of mortgages, but to to the specific issue of the HST GST, we have deferred payments on the GST, HST for three months. And and that is to ensure that we are enabling businesses to keep money in their pockets during this period, the same reason why we've deferred income tax payments. Do we need to do more? Well, that's that's something that we're looking at every day. I mean, we're, we're taking steps to ensure that we're actually addressing the critical needs. And if we need to do more, we've said very clearly that we will. What about that carbon tax increase at the federal level on Wednesday? Why did you go forward with that? Well, I, I, again, I would say in in this kind of a context, I would expect all politicians to to be, you know, trying to ensure that we're communicating appropriately and that we're providing, you know, appropriate information. If if you look at the price on pollution, and as you know, the price on pollution applies only in areas where provinces have not put in their own uh, price on pollution, right. so, so it doesn't, doesn't actually it doesn't apply, apply in British Columbia. Right. Um, it, uh, it it we actually provide more money back than people pay. And we prebate the money. So we actually give it to people before they actually pay the price. The vast majority of Canadian families who are subject to the price on pollution actually get more money back than they pay. So it's actually a stimulative measure, not not a, a tax increase. So, you know, I think we need to be thoughtful about what we're saying. Um, and, and we need to ensure that we're communicating appropriately the information that's actually the fact. Just got 30 seconds left here. U.S. President Donald Trump has told 3M, the big manufacturing company, to not sell us those surgical masks. What do you think of that? Well, obviously, we're concerned about that. Um, I think, you know, Canada and the United States have had a long and open trading relationship. We worked very hard with the Trump administration to ensure that while we have now uh, put in restrictions on non-essential travel, that we kept the supply chains open. And there was a, a long series of discussions with uh, with the Trump administration to ensure that we, we did that. That benefits Canadians and it benefits Americans. There are um, trades in goods and including medical supplies that go back and forth across the border okay. so we we see this as a as something that is a challenge and we obviously are going to be talking to the trump administration about it thanks for coming on not at all thank you i i appreciate it a lot that is jonathan wilkinson federal mp from british columbia federal cabinet minister in the trudeau cabinet appreciate his time when we come back your covid19 questions answered this is mike smith stick around hi right, welcome back let's talk about the summer olympic games in tokyo japan been postponed now of course not canceled but just postponed for a year the olympic games were supposed to start in july of this year they have now been postponed until the summer of 2021 as major sports events around the world get shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You got to feel for the athletes who've been training to be in peak condition for the Olympic Games uh, this summer, now told that the whole thing is off at least for a year. And that's got to be uh, disappointing for a lot of our athletes for sure. Let's check in with one of them right now. His name is Sean McCall. He is an Olympic sport climber for Team Canada from right here in Vancouver. I know he was a big medal hope for our country in these Olympics. Hey, Sean, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for inviting me. How's it going? I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Uh, at home, as, uh, as most people are. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough. We're all trying to get through it together. I know for a guy like you, I've just been reading about your career, Sean, here this morning, and I know that you were super excited for these Olympic Games in Tokyo coming up, and this has been... Something I think you've probably been training for this moment your whole life, right? When did you get into when did you get into rock climbing? So I started when I was ten. Uh, I'm 32 now, and it was funny because when I started climbing, wasn't even in the Olympics yet. We actually didn't get into the Olympics into uh, actually late 2016 uh, until I was well into my career, uh, and so then all of a sudden it was you know the sport that I had fallen in love with got accepted into the Olympics, and yeah, I've been on this last four four year plan of trying to make the olympics i finally did make it last year and it is a uh, really interesting that um everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks now 
Um, but I know that uh, they made the right decision in postponing it by a year. Right. What, ev- what events do you compete in? So in climbing, there are three different disciplines. There's lead, where you're going up the wall with the ropes, clipping into security points. There's bouldering, where it's only you're going maybe 15 feet in the air, and there's no ropes, but you're climbing over mats. And then there's speed climbing, which is a head-to-head uh, up the same course, and it's whoever gets there the fastest. And then because there's one medal or one set of medals for the Olympics, they took the combined discipline where you do all three of those disciplines back to back on the same day. So I actually do specialize in combined, although my best disciplines are definitely lead and boulder. Okay, so you've been training since you've been in the sport since you were 10 years old, as you, as you mentioned, and here was your big opportunity for the Olympic Games coming up this Sunday. How did you get the news and find out that the Games had been postponed? So I did get uh, a heads up from my national federation a few hours before the news broke, and I actually really, really appreciated that because it gave me a couple of hours to, you know, sit at home and go through the emotions and the process of all of a sudden something that I had been training for was going to be, albeit temporarily, uh, put on hold. It's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to process. Um, obviously, we kind of train every day for doing what we love. And then to have it, uh, to have that decision where, you know, Canada wouldn't send athletes. I understand the decision and I totally support the decision. And yet I still felt sad. Uh, but I'm really glad that I got the news a little bit in advance so that when the decision broke, you know, uh, my phone all of a sudden started flooding with, you know, my friends and, you know, a bit of news articles and just people saying like, Oh, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? And I actually chose to not answer a lot of them because, uh, I already had my response, which was, I was totally in support of everything the COC was doing and that I truly hoped that the IOC would then postpone the Olympic games. Right, right. Okay, so you you agree with the decision. You think they're doing the right thing, but man, that's mm-hmm. got to be disappointing when you've been training so hard and I guess mm-hmm. you're mentally up for something like this. I mean, this has got to take... Like, I was reading about how some Olympic athletes, when they got this news about the delay, that could have like a, a little uh, impact on your mental health. Definitely mental health is an issue here. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I guess even... The, the best or the, the nicest part about all this was that it didn't take the IOC very long to react, basically. It was less than 48 hours from the time that the news broke about the COC saying that we wouldn't send athletes if they were in 2020 uh, during the summer. No less than 48 hours later, the IOC uh, probably had some emergency meetings, and it was probably already on their minds, said, no, officially it's postponed. And then they took an additional in a week or two to figure out the dates. But I'm really glad that those two days were actually relatively quick. Right. Speaking to Sean McCall, he's an Olympic sport climber with from uh, with Team Canada. Where'd you grow up, Sean? Uh, I grew up on the North Shore, in Lynn Valley. A good place for rock climbing, right? <laughs> there are some local <laughs> places actually pretty close, but uh, the majority of the time, if I wanted to go outside, it would actually I would just drive up to Squamish. It was yeah. with the old highway pre 2010 Olympics. It was maybe uh, just over an hour to get up there, and then post Olympics because of the new highway. Uh, if you're quick, you can get up there in you know 45 minutes to an hour. Oh man, I bet you've done that drive a few times, huh? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> okay, how was your tra- how was your training going? And now that the Olympic Games have been delayed for a year here, how are you going to modify your training here now and look ahead to next summer? So it is a little bit funny because uh, with most Olympic sports, they operate in quads, so four-year cycles. Whereas as a non-Olympic sport before, you know, a few years ago, I always operated in single year, uh, so singles, whatever you want to call them. And so with the postponement, the year of 2020 now can go back to the, the World Cup season, although we're now we're still in lockdown with COVID, so that season is also pushed. But I'm actually very good, or I'm, I'm more used to working in a single year. And so basically everything I did starting in, you know, November and December – for the July 24 opening ceremonies this year, you know, Olympic Games, that basically gets pushed now a year. And so a year is kind of like not ideal, obviously, but yeah. but from a training perspective, it's totally fine. I'm going to rinse and repeat everything that I did in November and December and even take little parts that I think I did really, really well or maybe a little bit less well, and it just gives me a little bit more time to tweak. And so realistically, I'm totally happy with doing this again in a year. 
Okay, well, that, that's great to hear that you, you've got that outlook on it, and you, you've got to work, and this is the hand you've been dealt, and I guess you've just got to work with it here and try to remain in t- tip-top shape for for next year, right? I know you got, hey, uh, Sean, I know you got a lot of fans, man. How many how many uh, followers you got on Instagram? On Instagram, I think I, I just hit over 200,000, and uh, I, hit it, I hit it at a funny time because I don't want to, I didn't even post about it because it could, it's just weird. Every day it's different, and obviously we have much bigger problems right now. And so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, lots of people following, and and a lot of people are at home now, so they kind of look towards social media to give them a little bit more you know, things to do or things to try. So it's actually pretty fun. That's very cool. That's a lot of Instagram followers, and you obviously got a lot of fans and a lot of supporters out there. Is, has that been helping you through this with the postponement of the Olympics? Yeah, definitely, and. Uh, a lot of my work was even done at home. The hardest thing is that, you know, we can't get into climbing gyms. And so, you know, I'm, I'm an athlete. I, I like being outside. I like climbing. And so being cooped up for a lot of the day is definitely challenging. And then at the same time, I do do a lot of work on the computer. So that part's kind of the same. But uh, I do miss seeing, you know, my, being with my friends and having social interactions. Okay, it sounds like a very cool sport you're involved in there, and you describe some of the uh, the disciplines that you're involved in in rock climbing at, at an Olympic uh, level here. How long has this been an Olympic sport? Is it is this is this the first summer we're doing this in this sport? Yeah, or? this will be yeah. this will be climbing's debut, uh, 2020, wow. and now it'll be in the 2020 games. It'll just be in 2021. So yeah, right. no, it'll be the first time that everyone sees it. Uh, we officially got voted into the 2020 games um, as one of five additional sports in 2016. So it still gave us three or four years to prepare for the 2020 Olympic games. And uh, it is one of the additional sports. And then climbing is already talking to Paris 2024 to hopefully get climbing into those games as well. And then also with uh, LA 2028, and the goal is to be part of the official program and hopefully, you know, getting a few more medals. I did explain that we do have three disciplines and we had to do a right. combined event because we were given one, which is amazing. And the goal is to have then our, us to separate them out. It's kind of like right now we're, we're doing a triathlon where you do have specialists that are kind of forced to do maybe one that they don't enjoy as much as the other two. But if we had three sets of medals, or maybe even four to then have also the combined, that would be an ideal situation for us climbers. Sean, it's uh, disappointing that the Olympics have been postponed for you for a year, but it sounds like you got the right attitude to wait until 2021, and I wish you all the best going forward. Thanks for thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, thanks a lot for the questions. Have a good you day. Bet. You bet. Thank you. Same to you. That is Sean McCall from Vancouver. He's an Olympic sport climber. He's a rock climber. He's going to represent team canada at the olympic games which are now postponed until 2021